Welcome to What's NXT, the podcast about the best weekly wrestling television show, NXT. I'm Tristan Marsh. I'm Alec Basio. And this is NXT number 423, November 29th, 2017. Apparently, we didn't quite get the numbers wrong last week, but they count takeovers towards the episode number, so. Really? So we did both 421 and 422 last week. So I guess, blaze it again. THC, pretty potent. Its effect stems from its ability to bind the receptors in your brain called cannabinoid receptors. You take drugs or alcohol? What is drugs? Marijuana. Too many kids that begin with pot end up with heroin, then on to LSD. This is my very own anti-drugs commercial. There are receptors located on neurons, and they're activated by chemicals called neurotransmitters. That's a side effect of the marijuana poisoning. Well, I guess you didn't like you after all. You just smelled your narcotics. Marijuana is the flame, heroin is the fuse, LSD is the bomb. Cannabinoid receptors are found in all different parts. Oh no, my eyes are turning bloodshot. I'm going on a trip. I look like I'm doped out of my gourd. It might be medicinal. Oh yeah, medicinal life. You may sell that jazz to another pothead, but not to somebody who spends most of their time holding some sick kid's head while he vomits and wretches sitting on a curbstone at four o'clock in the morning. No, not blaze it. No blaze it. 423. What, what is there to blaze it of 423? When you're as much of a drug head as I am. Before we talk about the episode this week, you want to get some bullshit out of the way? Sure, sounds good. Did you watch Raw this week? Raw's the one with Matt Hardy, right? Yes, Raw is the one with Matt Hardy. I watched the clip of Matt Hardy saying delete. I did not watch the clip, but I I watched the Hulu cut, which didn't have that in it. There you go. That shows how much they're willing to commit. Also, apparently he's not going to be broken. He's still going to be awoken. This is how 2017 of him. Did you see Smackdown Live? No, I don't think so. No, I didn't see any clips from that. I've started watching the WWE channel on YouTube, though. That's how I get my news. There was a really good match between Kevin Owens and Randy Orton, surprisingly. I mean, you know, when he gives a shit, he can put on something fun. He's he's actually talented. He's just... An asshole. Yeah, <laughs> right. And last but not least, did you watch 205 Live? No. No? <laughs> I can't even do my joke anymore because it's been revealed that I've watched it once before, so I know what it is. You've broken the seal on that one. I know. Ugh, and so early on in a run. You'll find another joke to yeah, work into the mix about 205 Live. Sure. I'll just do an Enzo Amore impression. Oh, God, please do not. We also got some quick topics to cover. Sure. After pissing everybody off a while ago, Leo Rush caused everyone to think he was leaving the WWE. He removed all mention of the WWE and NXT from his social media and then started posting a bunch of angsty high school updates like time will explain and time is a gift given to you to give you the time that you need. And maybe my favorite, just in all caps, reflection. I had a cat 
cat named Snowball. She died. She died. Mom said she was sleeping. She lied. She lied. I had a hamster named Snuffy. He died. No deal. <laughs> so, of course, the dirt sheets ran wild with this. They were like, yeah. oh, he's leaving. Out of nowhere, one of them posts, sorry, we actually did some sort of follow-up, and uh, he's not leaving. So, what the fuck was the point? I almost wish he was after all this shit. I mean, I get it. I mean, he's great. I've said a lot of nice things about him. He's been pretty cool to watch. He's athletic. He's super cool. He's great. Uh, young as all hell. To be fair, he's had one match, so it's a little unfair to say he's been cool to watch. Well, in Ring of Honor. But he's he might be a little too young, maybe, as this stuff is showing. He made a weird meme kind of joke on Twitter that everybody hated, and then he got really butthurt about it when everybody got mad at him. He hasn't been around long enough for him to be attempting to solidify himself as, like, a heel douchebag. So he was just being an asshole. That's unfortunate. I thought that we were going to see a lot of great things from this kid, and we're not. I mean, maybe we still will. Who knows? We'll see some reflection, maybe, perhaps. I mean, best of luck. Everyone deserves a second chance. Yeah. Or a third. Everyone, everyone should get a good shot. We also have Hideo Itami is now on 205 Live after seemingly being forgotten about on NXT. Yeah, I wouldn't have known he was on 205 Live if I didn't see the, uh... I was watching the Drew Gulag thing last week, and I was like, oh, they're actually putting Hideo on a show that's not NXT. That sucks. We haven't seen Hideo Itami in months, and then they just had a title card recently that was just, Hideo Itami, now on 205 Live. Thanks for building that at all. You're just like, he's somebody else's yeah. problem now. That's really unfortunate because he's really the kind of guy that as long as he just doesn't get injured, he's pretty great. He could be on any show and do a really good job because he's just, he's got a lot of experience. Yeah, as long as he doesn't get injured and he always gets injured somehow. Yeah, well, everything he does looks brutal as fuck. He's got that angle of like, fuck you, respect me, which I think gets over really well. People fucking... They hate that shit. But then they forgot about that gimmick on NXT. Well, he probably got injured and we just didn't even hear about it. Honestly, like, he just gets injured. He's apparently a beautiful porcelain doll that chips just by looking at him. I, I don't know what's up with him, but hopefully on 205 Live he won't. Maybe I'll watch some more 205 Live now. I mean, Drew Gulak won me over. and You know, I have faith in Hideo Tommy. I think he's actually really good. Let's go through the title changes at War Games. We mm -hmm. talked way too much last week, so we didn't get a chance to talk about this. Ember Moon is now the women's champion. How do you feel about that decision? I'm liking it more uh, as time goes on. I liked that at the time. I was on the ropes a little bit. I think, you know what? It's good. She'll build more character out of it. I was talking to my buddy, and he's like, you know, she's never really sold me that she has a set character. I feel like she flip-flops a lot outside of the ring and i'd like to see her maybe cement that down and i said oh okay well this might be a good chance for her to do that much like all of sanity her character is just clearly her DD persona i'm just gonna do that in the wrestling ring i'm a werewolf don't question it werewolf 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 there ember moon why are you talking that way i thought you wanted to i'm easy we got a pirate princess now maybe werewolf's all right i gotta say I kind of have been having the opposite trajectory that you have 
Oh, you think it's going to undo her? When it happened, I was so happy. And I think I told you last week, Asuka giving her the belt, I was holding back tears the entire time. It really emotionally affected me. I was like, oh my God, these two women, they respect each other so much and they're such strong competitors. I feel like she needs to get in the ring and squash some people trying to take yeah. the belt from her as quickly as possible because she kind of had a lot of character taken away from her in her feud with Asuka and to then just give her the belt, I'm I'm starting to feel like if she doesn't come out and prove that she deserves to continue having it, it kind of feels like she got a participation trophy for being in those amazing matches with Asuka. And right. I have liked everything up until now, so I'm not one of these people that are like looking for ways to shit on Ember Moon. I think yeah. there are a lot of people like that. I go back to what I said before war games which was i was kind of hoping that peyton royce stole the belt because then you could have a short run where ember moon is chasing peyton royce and that builds up ember moon's character and then she can immediately win it and then that solidifies no 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 no. we aren't just giving this to her because she had these five amazing matches with asuka we're giving it to her because her character is the kind of character that would take this belt. Yeah, no, I could see that. I mean, we'll have to see how it plays out, but I think she just needs right now, she either needs, like you're saying, a bunch of squashes or really nice matches with just people, or she needs, like, a really good feud with someone who she could just keep beating. They don't have to be squashes, but they need to be soon. She can't be like Asuka or, you know, the, like, Ultimate version of this is Brock Lesnar, obviously, where she's just the champion and everybody's fighting to fight her, you know? Yeah. She needs to come out next week or the week afterwards and start having good matches and showing people, no, this fucking belt is mine, you know? Yeah. And I didn't earn it by having good matches with Asuka. I took it because I'm a fucking competitor. Yeah, I, I could see that. And I think you're right. I think it has to happen. But I, I'm more optimistic that it will kind of happen now. Because I feel like with all the call-ups and stuff, you know, women's division, it's leaner now. There are more chances for her to show up and have matches. But also that means that I think that it's more difficult because they called up a lot of the people that you could conceivably have ember moon just immediately destroy but i mean i don't know there's a lot of may young classic winners we still don't i mean i i haven't been reading into it so maybe i'm in the minority but i still don't even know how many of them are on the show next up we have andrade cian almas he's the new men's champion i'm not even gonna ask if that's a good move or a bad move i fucking love this move sure i'm i'm with you i like it a lot i think it's great unqualified success he's come so far it's nice to see him with a belt even if they snatch it off him like pretty much as soon as drew gets back i mean whatever it's fun it's great it's a good rain if drew actually tore his bicep that's six months so that isn't a wait until he comes back to have him take the belt from almost again that's a 
we need to rethink everything that's going on. Yeah, I think I'm just probably just going on what we heard in this show where he said he's going to be back in January or whatever. Did he say he was going to be back in January? Actually, you know what? When I'm thinking about it, it may not have been actually January. He said 2018. Yeah, he just said 2018. Yeah, I was just thinking it must be January because it's December. It's December right now. Although that does leave the opening for if this is a work him showing back up on January 1st and being like, 2018, motherfucker. Yeah. I'm all healed up. I'm like Wolverine. I don't care about which spirit ladies do what to which Cajuns. Just let me alone with those clowns for five minutes. Just five minutes. So beautiful, yet so strong. Well, I always did think I was kind of cute. Nice of you to mention it. Undisputed Era won the War Games match. Obviously, they didn't win the titles, but I almost thought that they had a couple of times. I kept writing down that they were the new tag champions. They're clearly going to get those belts in the next month, right? Well, at some point, they're going to have to because, I mean, they're undisputed. They just they You can't dispute them. And if you try, you'll find that you can't because they're undisputable. And it's an entire era of undisputedness. Yeah, there's longer, it's longer than one time or two times, whatever your measurement of time is. An era has to be at least, what, a century? So they're just going to own the next 100 years. No, because that's a century. (laughs) I think an era is like one of those things where you mark off two points on a timeline and you're like, everything in between that. So you're saying that when I was hungry but hadn't had lunch yet between 11.30 and 3.30... That's an era. That's your hunger disputed era. Oh, fuck you. (laughs) How about we get to the episode? Yeah, sounds like a plan. The opening theme happens. Ruby Riot is still all over the opening theme, which is a little weird. And it goes beyond that because we're going to see that she's going to have a match next week. What? (laughs) Is she? Have they not? They didn't sign all the paperwork yet, I guess. I don't know how this works. Also, this is a house show that they recorded. They're recording at the Aztec in San Antonio, which looks like a kid's jungle play place adventure zone. Yeah. Has about 30 people in the audience. I thought I was watching the new season of Lucha Underground filmed on new location. It definitely had that feel. I don't know. Yeah, it definitely did. It's called the Aztec, so. Well, it wasn't just that. I mean, the feel of it, because, like, the crowd doesn't even go up past the halfway mark on the camera. You could still see, like, a ton of the wall behind them. You got a sense of how small the place was compared to where they normally perform. There's a curtain that obviously is blocking off the backstage, but it looked like if you've ever rented out only half of a party hall and there's another party happening on the other side of the hall and they just put up the curtain, there's somebody's wedding or quinceanera on the other side (laughs) and just in the background there are people wrestling. If you play the music loud enough, no one in your family will know that you've booked a wrestling hall. <laughs> First match, we have Street Profits versus Tino Sabatelli and Riddick Moss. SM, baby. This was a really fun match that was kind of only brought down by the fact that we saw it two weeks ago. This was so weird, but 
it actually ended up working out good because it, it, I don't know, they work so well together in this one. Yeah, they do. Moss and Sabatelli are getting more heat the further from full sale we get, but everybody still loves the Street Profits. There's some great offense from both sides, but the charisma radiating Street Profits get the win after spending 20 minutes in the ring with each other multiple times in the match. So did you like this match? I did. I saw this as a refinement of the match that we saw two weeks ago. We got one or two of the same spots. We got one or two, oh, I learned from the last time spots. And we got more yelling and screaming about our lifestyle. At one point, Montez Ford is floundering and Tino Sabatelli, to make time and get heat, turns to Dawkins on the apron and yells, You can't afford our lifestyle. (laughs) I'm really glad that Percy Watson pointed out how fucked up that is to yell at a black man. Why you gotta make it economical? Talking about something he can't afford his lifestyle. Uh, yeah. (laughs) If the heel-face dynamic was reversed, this would be the most racist fucking storyline in the world. It would be like rich white guys being like, you're not good enough to fight with us. But instead, everybody loves the Street Profits. The thing is, though, we already did that with uh, Triple H and Booker T. So there's like no reason. I was watching back then. Oh, yeah. That was when I was watching. That was like, what the fuck? Somebody like you doesn't get to be a world champion. Uh... I'm in character. Oh, uh, yes, yes, right. Go ahead, Book. Why don't you entertain? Go ahead. Do a little dance for me, Book. You mean... This is... Uh, are we... Is this... Real? Give me one of those spinneroonies. Come on, Book, dance. Entertain me. That's your job. Oh, shit. Oh, bollocks. Well, luckily, they aren't doing that. Commentary isn't as strong this week, but they continue to point out the basics of the storyline. And Percy Watson points out, hey, no matter how much you hate a minority in America, pointing out your economic privilege to them is like the shittiest thing you can do. I will say that Percy pulls some more weight this week. I appreciated that. Thought he did a good job. Just wanted to give a shout out to our new favorite commentator nigel who's absent on this one felt bad i almost feel like this is why they started the match off with street profits is because they were like we got to just make sure everybody knows nigel's not here because he has nothing to get mad at what are these guys rebelling against nothing you guys lost me no Where's that no appreciation for the culture, <laughs> Nigel. For like the first quarter of this match, they don't bring up the fact that Nigel isn't talking. Where's Nigel? Two. Whenever not on screen, all the other characters should be asking, Where's Nigel? I believe in my notes I've written, Nigel is silent, and then later, Nigel is absent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was He's waiting being for- very quiet. What do they think they're doing? Nothing. Nothing. What are these guys rebelling against? Nothing. They don't understand the refinement of Tino Sabatelli and Riddick Moss. It takes a bold man to share a car with another man. (laughs) 
It's weird that they didn't put it up at the beginning of the episode, but like a quarter or even a third of the way through this match, Moro is just like, oh, hey, by the way, Nigel isn't here this week. He'll be back next week. Yeah, our favorite Brit. By the way, we didn't dump Nigel McGinnis. Our favorite Brit will join us again. (laughs) It's kind of the tactic that you do when you're covering for a coworker that hasn't come in where you just hold out because maybe they'll show up. But also maybe the boss won't notice. But then the second you start seeing the boss kind of pass by your desks a couple of times, you're like, oh, uh, they had they got sick. I'm sorry. They they told me for some reason and not you. (laughs) Sure. That's that might very well be what happened. But really, it was probably some schedule balancing thing because he's on 205 Live. I didn't know that until I watched that Drew Gulak match. Oh, yeah? I didn't know that he was on 205 Live. I thought it was that weird other guy. The, like, weird fake Corey that Corey was also talking with. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) You're very grossed out about the idea that there could be more than one Corey. Yeah, no, I don't like that. I kind of like Corey. I think there should only be one. One Corey, good. Two Corey, bad. Very bad. No good. There were a couple things I really liked, though. I liked uh, Tino's expressions. Uh, normally, it's Riddick Moss who does the crazy expressions, but when uh, when Ford like kips up after getting knocked down early on in the match, Tino Sabatelli looks at him like he just parted the oceans. Behold his mighty hands! Oh yeah, I wrote down he looks like <laughs> Scooby Doo after seeing a ghost. <laughs> He's like, what? I've never, I've never watched a kung fu movie in my life. I've never seen that happen. Although, to be fair, Sabatelli had just done an amazing standing crossbody. My Sabatelli, what athleticism! He is completely horizontal and over Montez Ford's head at one point, and I was like, that, that's fucking crazy, man. How did you do that? Yeah, I gotta say, Sabatelli, uh, I usually think of him as the, he's like more cut, even though he's not like the big giant guy, so like, they gotta put him in front of the team, but I actually, you know, I don't know, I I thought this match he looked pretty good in, Um, along with yelling, you can't afford our lifestyle, which is just, oh, classic, it's great. Yeah, you know, Tino Sabatelli hasn't been doing as much of the in-ring heat gathering as much as Riddick Moss recently, he really comes yeah. into his own in this match. Although I will say I really liked that Riddick Moss continues to do the I steal your gimmick heat mm. because at one point he knocks down Montez Ford and then stands over him and does the shoulder roll hip swivel dance that oh. the Street Profits do. Oh, come on now. There's uh, that ain't that a, those are money back. You can't replicate the moves that Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins does before you want to bash yourself. It's really good. It's both really good and really fun in a way that seeing Dozovich do the worm a couple of weeks ago was fun. It's just fun to see a guy that shape do something that silly. Yeah, because he's just he's a giant inverted triangle. And he's he's made out of balloons, too. He's just everything Shoot. is like round and weird. And then, of course... Moro and Percy sell it great because they're like, oh, he's he's trying to steal their style. You can't dance like the Street Profits dance. Yeah. It's no, really it's, good. It, it, 
It was a great moment, and that got, like, solid booed. Like I said, the further away from full sale you get, the more people are booing them, which I think is good. I think that we'll talk about maybe some of the poor transitions uh, that sometimes happened when you leave the very nurturing environment of full sale and go to, like, the main roster or on the road. But for Moss and Sabatelli it kind of works out better because Full Sail is too nurturing and there are too many people at Full Sail that want to cheer them because they're doing good work now. And they really need to leave Full Sail so that people go, eh, they're good wrestlers, but fuck those guys. I hate them. Get the fuck out of here, man. Yeah, otherwise you're just gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna feel bad about doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Eventually, they're gonna put on some really good takeover matches where they get really overwhelming booze yeah uh i'm excited to be in a live audience booing them it's gonna be fun i think the high point of the entire match was moss yelling no after he got caught holding down we have to describe this because this is basically i think the best part this is what for made me forgive them for doing this match twice because they lost two weeks ago they now do two things that we haven't seen them do so far they start actually doing tandem offense. Yeah, one of the tandem offenses was great when uh, Tino kicks out of a roll-up and kicks uh, Dawkins directly into uh, Moss's elbow from outside the ring. That was super cool. They're doing, like, actual good tag team tandem offense moves, but then they also yeah. start just out-and-out out cheating. Tino Sabatelli is pinning Angelo Dawkins and Moss leans in from outside the ring and holds down his feet so that he can't kick out. And now, wait, wait, wait. The referee caught this, however, and you wonder, you wonder what Riddick Moss is thinking. Luckily, the ref sees it, and then Moss starts freaking out. No, 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 no. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to do anything. They're doing whatever they can do to get this win here. No. It wasn't even, it was, no, 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 no. <laughs> He's just, he's having a breakdown because he realizes, I mean, it's great. He gets it. He plays it so good. I mean, the beard does not fuck with his face at all. You should see his facials. They're amazing. As soon as the ref looks at him, he gets this look on his face like he just got caught in the schoolyard. And he's like, fuck, fuck, no. (laughs) Well, he realizes, yeah, much like being caught in the schoolyard, he's worried that he's about to get suspended because he's like, oh, shit, they can actually disqualify me for doing that. What the fuck? It's awesome. And it proves to be their downfall. But I mean, like, that's so great. It's nice seeing two guys get over as heels just for having a shitty personality and now they're actually doing heel shit and it's just solidifying them. You can't say that they're not heels because not only are they shitty, you know, like Italian stereotype yuppies or whatever, but now they're cheating, so you can't like them. Yeah, it's it's really good. I'm very excited to see more work out of them it's definitely cool to see them on a tag team because again i'm not like a big tough enough guy or anything like that but i know tino sabatelli had like a rough start on one of those reality shows and it's actually really cool to see the tag team aspect he's really i guess embracing it and they're they work they work well as a team i know that you were not a fan of moss's stubbly full face beard how do you like his ugly goatee 
I love it. It's really? I really hate good. it. <laughs> but that might be why you love it. Do you love it because it's ugly and makes him look like shit? I guess. I I was really worried that it was going to be like, it's going to obscure his stupid expressions, but it doesn't. Now it highlights them, and he looks like a really dad. He looks like he went to a costume store and was like, I'm going to get a Riker beard, guys. The beard is an ancient and proud tradition. I think it's a sign of strength. My beard is not an affectation. I, I, I think it looks great. I think it looks so good. The only thing is, it, it, it doesn't imply wealth. Clean shave would imply more wealth. I guess so. Oh, well then you wouldn't mind shaving it off. I could lose it in a minute. I've just gotten used to it. Let's talk really quickly then about the Street Profits. We've talked a lot about um, Moss and Sabatelli. We did, yeah. They came, they came a long way. They have come a long, long way since just a couple of months ago when they were the also-rans of the Ely brothers being the guys that, like, they're just two guys that you fight as you're trying to make a tag team work, and now they're actually, like, a thing. kind of makes me excited to see what happens to the Ely brothers. <laughs> Maybe they're just going to be, like, fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. First of all, Montez Ford comes out in a big cowboy hat because they're in San Antonio. And he's doing the pony dance. Of course. Wasn't surprised at all. (laughs) People apparently don't like Angelo Dawkins. A lot of people don't like Angelo Dawkins. I find him pretty likable, but Montez Ford is obviously the star of these two. Yeah, well, he does all the dancing and stuff. But I... It's weird, because when I see Angelo Dawkins, I always feel like he's the... I don't know. For some reason, Montez Ford always looks like the weird one. What do you mean, the weird one? Like, when you hang out with the two of them, and you're like, oh, yeah, Dawkins, he's really fun. You know, he's like a goofy guy. We hang out. We get, like, wings and stuff. He brings his weird friend along a lot. Oh, I, I think the exact opposite. Really? I always think that Ford is, like, the guy that will never speak, you know, like, in public. I think that Montez Ford is... The nice, fun guy that everybody loves at the local bar. And he's always hanging out with his co-worker, who everybody's like, he seems nice. Why are those two guys hanging out? But seeing them hanging out, you understand that they're really great friends. Namantes Ford is the star. They're facing off before the match. Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford start doing the duck hand, you talk too much. Right. Yeah, that was cool. And they're both doing it, but then Montez Ford starts upping the fucking stakes because pausing and then doing it some more and then pausing and then doing it some more and then he starts going... These teams are getting ready to rock and roll here in San Antonio tonight again. Taking these little duck steps and it's so weird but so fun. I don't know what the fuck he's... He's just being an annoying asshole but in a fun way instead of... A shitty way. Yeah, it works. It's just, it's weird that you're getting that vibe reversed from what I'm getting. I don't know. I think we're going to need to see some promos so that we could see which one talks the most. And then lastly, Dawkins loses his headband. Right. Oh, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like losing his headband. Well, he has like six. Yeah, but even just one. They're all important. Each one has a memory. (laughs) Montez Ford taps in and they do this really great tandem move. Dawkins actually backdrops Montez into a flip uh, frog splash onto Riddick Moss. 
But when Riddick Moss kicks out, Ford yells angrily, sees the headband, and then puts it on his head. This is how you work together as a unit. This is how you play. Check out Montez. Retelling it, that is not fun. But watching it, you're like, yeah, he got the headband. Awesome. Great. Yeah. One thing that I appreciated about the Street Profits, and let me know if you're thinking this, because they didn't do a lot of the goofy shit until after they won. I felt like that was good, because it's like showing... I feel like right now, Sabatelli and Moss are like the crucible for them, and what's happening is they're just burning off all the excess goofy shit, and they're waiting until they get the perfect amount, so they could still do it, because that's them. I mean, that's their characters, and it's great. You don't want to get rid of that, but you don't want to have too much of it. Montez Ford actually does the uh, leg sweep away. Again, he, he brings that back. That was really fun. I think that means that the feud is nearing an end. Yeah, I think so. Moro starts rambling incoherently about the Alamo. And while we all remember the Alamo, Sabatelli and Moss will definitely remember this matchup against the Spring Can't you remember anything? I remember the Alamo. Yeah! There are a number of points in this episode where I say Moro says something about blank that I couldn't hear. I don't know. He has a tendency to do that sometimes. And when Nigel's around, it doesn't bother me so much. But this is like, you're, you're right on the money. I consistently heard him as being a little weird and off every once in a while during this episode. Moving forward, don't try to do a backdrop on Montez Ford. Because he always flips out of it and lands on his feet. Yeah, it was nice that he expected it this time, but yeah. you're totally right. Riddick Moss this time, he tries he to flipped around. He tries to he like, no. run around Riddick Moss, and Riddick Moss turns around and grabs Montez before he can get to Dawkins. But if you know he's gonna do that, just don't do the backdrop. Do a power yeah. slam. He doesn't can't do that out of a power slam. Sure. You're strong enough to do a power slam. Don't do a backdrop on Montez Ford. The thing that I really want to talk about most of all is Montez Ford is really good at selling, or at least I really like his selling. At one point, Riddick Moss has him kind of in a, a full cover. They're down on the mat and Moss is just punching him in the face. He does something that a lot of people don't do. He isn't selling the strike itself. But more, he sells the strike a little bit, and most of his selling is him, like, wobbling back and forth, even though he's not even sitting up. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. He's selling being dazed by the strike more than he's selling the, like, head snappiness of the strike. And I really liked it. It caught my eye. A little bit later, Riddick Moss is attempting to get him in a chin lock, and he starts freaking out on the mat. He's like jittering around and yelping. And it's like a fucking chin lock, but it really sells the idea that if Moss gets him in this chin lock, it could be over. Now granted, Moss gets him in the chin lock and five seconds later he reverses it and gets out because nobody's going to fucking lose to a chin lock. Well, we need to work on stuff like that. I think somebody needs to lose to a chin lock. <laughs> Once or twice? Yeah, I like that idea. That would be a good uh, Lars Sullivan ending. Absolutely. I think after last week's episode, I, th I think I've really cemented my old curmudgeon bullshit 
nasty guy persona on our podcast. I think you should lose to an arm bar or a wrist lock. You know, a wrist lock really hurts when you have one on your wrist. Then we get some promo packages about Trent Seven and Tyler Bate feuding with Pete Dunne. These are largely clunky. You could really tell that they were shot all out of sequence, like they were jumping through time chasing each other. But uh, there is one really amazing moment. Trent Seven and Tyler Bate are being interviewed. And at the end of the interview, Trent Seven leans in to twirl the mustache of the woman interviewing him and then realizes what he's about to do and kind of goes, oh, 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 never mind. And they both kind of look at each other for a second and then walk away together. Yeah, that was pretty good. I really like Trent Seven and Tyler Bate together. They they have a really fun energy. I also liked uh, when they confronted Pete Dunn in that one flashback scene or whatever it was. And then Pete Dunn just kind of like waves them off. <laughs> yeah. They're like, I don't like that you let Wolfgang get beat up. And he's just like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm the champion. Who cares what you like? I don't give a shit. We also have Mark Andrews ineffectively trying to explain why he's teamed up with Pete Dunne. That isn't just there are only six people in the division and who else would he team up with? I'm teaming up with him because we have an understanding that if we win, I'm number one contender now. And it's like, so this is instantly setting up that Dunne is going to betray you, right? And if he doesn't, he's a dumb dumb. Because, like, he doesn't want to win now because he doesn't want somebody being number one contender. No, he will He will win and then just not give you the shot. That's the betrayal. Maybe. But, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's very strange. It just, it just made me, I, during the entire match, I was just waiting and watching for Pete Dunne to just, like, lay down on the floor and be like, pin me. I don't even think that that's a good enough reason, considering Mark Andrews' whole thing is that he's a good, good, good skateboard boy. I can see his gimmick being made into an annoying heel gimmick, but on the face of it, he is the most face of a gimmick, where, like, he likes neon and pastel colors, and he comes out with his hat sideways. We also get a package. We also get a package just selling Lars Sullivan as a monster. It's got all your favorite hits. It's got Jack Kirby illustration come to life. A Jack Kirby illustration come to life. Genetic freak. But I'm a genetic freak and I'm not normal. I mean, the guy's an absolute freak. A one man wrecking ball. Intoxicated by protein, which I actually don't think I heard before. <laughs> Solomon intoxicated by cruelty. Cruelty. I hate that fucking Jack Kirby line. But it's really good. It doesn't have the throwback to wrestling's bygone era when men were men and women were scared. Harks back to a bygone era of sports entertainment, doesn't he? When men were men and women and children were scared. Although it does have a bunch of shots of Lars Sullivan smiling like a big old goofy freak behind a chain link fence. Not, not intimidating except for the fact that you know that it's Lars Sullivan, but it's like a really close shot of his big, goofy, smiling face where he's like, hey, I'm a wrestler, guys. We should cut this part, what I'm about to say. Okay. Because I'm about to say something about another wrestle podcast, so let's cut it. But I do not agree with... I just think, I think Lars Sullivan is fantastic. He's such a good heel, and like you have to feel something about him. Especially if you're watching his promos, I feel like you have to feel something. The package ends with 
Moro yelling, who will stop Lars Sullivan? And then we go into match number two, Kyrie Sane versus Peyton Royce. I really liked this match, which sees Peyton Royce starting off like a maniac, but slowly succumbing to Carrie Sane's onslaught. Even some help from Billy Kay at ringside can't get Peyton Royce over the finish line, and Kyrie Sane's drop anchor, as we will now always call it. Got it in my notes, all caps. Does its work. Kyrie Sane wins, and then it turns out that Morrow and Percy were just blue skying it when it they said that it was for some kind of shot at Ember Moon because they now say that Kyrie Sane is, quote, in pole position to fight Ember Moon. So basically, they didn't know how to fucking build this match because it happened before Ember Moon won the championship. Everything's out of order. How did you like this match? I liked it. I thought it was really good. Uh, I was happy that the duo was still together. I know that they would kind of have to be for the house show to not spoil things for people, but I did get a little worried after TakeOver that that Peyton's going to be like, you should have been there. I still don't think that they're going to split him up. If they split him up, that's the stupidest move that they could do. Yeah, that's actually really bad. That's like a main roster style fuck up. This is that thing we've been talking about, that the the reactions are a little like, hmm, I don't know, they're, they're like lukewarm. But she was able to win that crowd over pretty well. She went. She won him over with a bunch of Roman Reigns yells and like fucking stomping all over the place like a madman. And people loved it. They ate it up. It's really not very fair to critique crowd reaction considering there's only like five people in the audience this time. Yeah, but it's a lot smaller. Kyrie Sane's entrance reaction is still very muted. Yeah. Even though she's amazing. So that's kind of too bad. But then at one point we come back from a commercial break and Peyton Royce has her in a headlock and Kyrie Sane totally gets the entire audience to start cheering for her. Really slowing down. Kyrie Sane right here taking her air from her, keeping her grounded, taking away her strengths. The gritty, resilient Kyrie Sane back on her feet. As she powers up through it, a classic babyface sequence where the entire crowd, as you hear them cheering for you, you slowly stand up and you slowly pry the arms off of your neck. The audience clearly loves her. They just, when she comes out, they go, am I supposed to clap right now? I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, normally I would do exactly what you're saying and not really take the crowd as much into account for this, uh, except for the fact that we noticed that this is something that happens with her for a while now ever since she's been on nxt uh so it's kind of nice to see that she can win crowds over in ring i think that just means she needs to be a little more maybe wacky and goofy on her way in or something i don't really know i don't really know or maybe she doesn't need to do anything and once people really realize how over she is in ring they're going to start responding that way on her way in the more people see her, not just as that person from Mae Young, but as a like weekly competitor, because she got really big cheers right after she won the Mae Young Classic. She was a real big deal. Yeah, she was a real big deal. She hasn't been popping up all that much, except to cut wordless promos. So hopefully as we see her in ring more, people start going... Oh, yeah, I'm going to cheer this woman because she's awesome. It's not even like a lack of charisma or character because she displays that so much when she's like stomping around 
And when she does her like voguing at the end on t- on the ropes for the crowd, and they they really like that. It's just it's just weird because it's like it's her slightly muted entrance. It's almost like like a nineteen fifties model in like one of the houses of the future. She kind of like moves so smoothly in her entrance. She like kind of like glides everywhere and then like does these weird like really really like smooth really calculated like salutes and stuff and i think that's actually kind of part of the whole weird reaction i think it might be because she's trying to have her entrance be epic and the stuff that people seem to really like when she really gets over is not her being epic it's her being goofy but goofy with a side of like she's ah because the the fucking ah that stuff gets people going yeah, a woman that size hulking out is really fun. <laughs> yeah. The Iconic duo come out. They're no longer wearing shirts that say Iconic on them with the eyes being the silhouettes of Billy and Peyton. They're now wearing matching shirts that say either I love Billy or I love Peyton with the eyes being the silhouettes. How do they not have fucking merch available? Oh, that's weird that they don't. I would totally wear an I Love Peyton shirt or an I Love Billy shirt. They're great. Yeah. You could sell me on the I Love Peyton shirt. I Love Billy shirt's coming up, but it's not there yet. I'm not I'm not all the way. Speaking of their entrance, the entire entrance, Mara Ranallo is just making fun of an absent Nigel. Well, this would be the portion of the program where a besotted Nigel McGinnis would scream out all kinds of Yes, our good friend will rejoin us next week, besotted by the iconic duo. Nigel is a weird sex creep who is infatuated with these women. But honestly, like, that's because <laughs> Nigel's the heel commentator. He puts over the heels. He talks about how great they are. Percy, Percy tried. Like, he tried to step in and be like, they're so ta- they are talented or whatever, like, right? Percy doesn't have the heel stink of by talented does Percy mean he wants to have sex with them? Whereas Nigel could be honestly saying right. how much he likes these women, but it just comes off as like, oh, they're so talented. They're so amazing. I love them so much. And so every single time, Morrow and Percy just go, yeah, I think we know what you're really talking about, Nigel. Yeah, no, 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 I get that. It's just, It just feels so weird when Nigel's not there. It's almost like they're like kicking him while he's down. <laughs> I, I did kind of like that they were kicking him while he's down. I wish that more of the night would have been Mauro Ranallo bringing up what Nigel would have said just so that Mauro and Percy could be like, luckily he's not here. If this was a WWE show in the mid 2000s, that would have happened. And then and then Nigel would have come back and he would have been like, "Moro, I heard what you were telling talking about." And then they'd fight and it would be terrible. Just remember that Michael Cole actually used to fight. Oh my god. Not good. They're continuing to build Peyton as a aggressive striker. I really like the story of this match. Because early on, she gets some really good clean strikes. She has a nice hip toss. But then she goes for a second hip toss and Kyrie counters it into this weird wheelbarrow roll up. I like that there are a couple of different story elements going on. But one of them is Peyton Royce is trying to be a fighter in her own right, but 
hasn't really learned the rules of not cheating. The same thing happened with the Fatal 4-Way. For the first half of a match, she tries to actually wrestle, and then eventually something happens where she starts to throw a temper tantrum, and then she's just trying not to lose, and that's eventually her downfall. But that's like a really good story to tell for a heel that has been a chicken shit heel for so long, where it's like they're now attempting to be a heel but not a chicken shit heel, but it just isn't going to work. Yeah, there were some really fun, uh, there was a really fun tantrum where you could tell she was just like, how come this didn't work? I did all the good stuff. She's pretty good at at delivering moves now, not just taking them. Peyton Royce at one point actually dodges the Kyrie Sane elbow drop. And I was kind of pissed off that Mauro Ronaldo and Percy didn't talk about that because when Velveteen Dream escaped the Black Mask, they were like, Oh, nobody's ever gotten away from it. And I kind of wish that one of them had been like, you know what it was? It was because it was a horizontal elbow attack because she didn't actually like go for the drop. I felt that way, too. Exactly what you thought, because I was crazy that I, I went like, wow, I really popped for the fact that not only did she get out of the way, but she actually countered it. She went right into a knee in the face. And like, it was like, wow, this is really good. And I was kind of pissed off because when she went up, I was like, oh, they aren't going to end this match right now, are they? It's just started to get good. And the fact that that wasn't the end, I was like, oh, hey, good storytelling. I, I, I shouldn't be surprised that it's happening on NXT, but here I am. Well, it's because what's going to happen is when you have a weirdo kind of semi-goofy person like Peyton Royce, who... The gimmick is like, oh, she's a makeup tutorial girl. <laughs> but it's like she's still, she's still, they give her enough of a build and enough, you know, cred. And they let her do enough cool stuff. And they let her wrestle enough that you can see a match like this that lasts longer. That she doesn't, she's, she's no pushover just because of all this weird shit that goes on in her little backstage stuff. At one point, Mara Ronaldo again, just starts rambling about Black Friday. With her Cyber Monday set a record with nearly $6.6 billion in sales, making it the biggest U.S. shopping day in history. I was going to rewind it and listen to it again, but I was like, what the hell? I don't even care. I, I really didn't like it. I got to tell you, I was, I was not super into Moro today. This happened before War Games, but I think that having to sell those toys somehow outside of the bounds of time and space corrupted Mara's brain. WWE Top Talkers Championship Takedown Ring from Mattel. It's been rippling outward. It sucked his mojo out. I don't know. It was weird. There are a couple of, I would say, more classic Peyton Royce moments. The first happens pretty early on. Peyton is running the ropes and Kyrie Sane drops down to trip her up but Peyton jumps over her. And that happens a couple of times. On the third or fourth time, Peyton Royce stops and just turns and looks annoyed at Kyrie Sane. And Kyrie Sane stands up and kind of incredulously with her hands like motions like, no, you're supposed to, you're supposed to keep going. Why did you stop? Why did you stop? You're supposed to keep doing that until I trip you. I like that part too. Um, yeah. They work really well together. I think that all three of these women, uh, Billy Kay as well, work really well together yeah. uh, because 
even though two of them are heels and one of them is a face, I think that they have kind of the same sensibilities when it comes to uh, using body language to communicate with other wrestlers and also with the audience, you know? Yeah, they have good, like, uh, comedic timing and stuff, too. They're really fun together. I kind of like to see... I'd, li- I'd like to see a program of them. Kyrie Sane does a really killer head scissors takedown from the ropes, but then Billy Kay distracts her from the apron and Peyton Royce almost wins with a surprise spinning heel kick. But that was really the only interference. I like that we're we're seeing the rise of Tino Sabatelli and Riddick Moss's cheating as we're also seeing the decrease of Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. And I like that they didn't just instantly try to do it honest, but they're like, hey, let's not have Billy Kay like jump in the ring and punch somebody she's just gonna do a little bit but and they could have they could have taken this the wrong way and had like a backstage segment where they like call a meeting or something and they're like we're gonna stop cheating we're gonna be good girls now or whatever some stupid shit like like i feel like this is something you would see on the main roster and they'd come out and they'd have new shirts that say no cheating or whatever, and they'd like fucking, they'd go to cheat, and then they'd look at each other, and they'd be like, oh no, and then it would become a little too slapstick for this. That level of on the nosedness really kind of only works for somebody like Drew Gulak. His whole thing is just saying, I don't like this thing. Yeah, he could do a no cheating. Really is more of a like indie DVD slash NJPW thing where they're telling the story with these very small moments that you might miss like on the apron in the entrance you don't need a promo to tell you that there might be a split in the bullet club you just see a couple of weird looks between tamatanga and kenny omega a couple of times and you're like oh shit they're fighting backstage you know and then when they almost get into a fight you're like oh i knew it they're just telling this whole story with these very small moments rather than having a big moment Really like that. Very good. Kyrie Sane has so much shit going for her. We've talked mainly about her character work. Can we talk about her moves and her attitude? Because she has so many good fucking moves that are working right now that aren't her, even the main ones that she does with the silly pirate stuff you know, walk the plank thing and then she does the sliding knee and she and points to her elbow before doing the elbow drop. She also just has this really nice out of nowhere zero to 60 spear. And she's been doing that rolling neck breaker recently. That's really crazy. And then also for somebody that ends the match, slightly selling a neck injury, but mainly just smiling and happy and looking like, Super excited to be here. She's just smiling and ah, I love everything. She goes really vicious really quickly. At one point, she does like four drop heel axe kicks to yeah Peyton's spine. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. No, stomping on her while she was down. I was like, wow, this is a really interesting way to be baby face. But you still are. But this is interesting. You don't normally see the baby face stomping on and people. And really, it's because, again, when she's not kicking somebody's ass, she is so innocent and happy, you know? Yeah. There's never a modicum of 
angst or doubt or um, anger at any moment except when she's in the ring and she could be pulling your teeth out with a pair of pliers like a fucking Nazi villain in a movie. And then the second she wins, she's going to get up on one of the turnbuckles and have a smile. Salute everybody. Smile as big as the moon, saluting everybody, and you just can't hate that. (laughs) No, I I don't think you can. I think you can have weird reactions to it, which is what people have been doing, but I think she's winning them over pretty well. So after that match, we get a complete fucking recap of the Ruby Riot Sonya Deville match from last week. What? Why? Like every single beat. They should have just said there was a really good match last week. You can watch it on the thing that you're watching this episode on, too. And then they announced that they're going to have another match next week on NXT, and it's going to be a no-holds-barred match. They've already settled their differences. How is this going to settle their differences once and for all? It won't, because they've done it already. The story was Ruby Riot has an injured fucking ankle. And can she beat Sonya Deville with the injured ankle? Can Sonya Deville beat her by taking advantage of the injured ankle? Well, we found out. Ruby Riot can win with an injured ankle. Sonya Deville could not overcome the injured ankle. Although no holds barred, maybe Ruby Riot. The way they settle their differences is Ruby Riot just breaks Sonya Deville's ankle, and then, of course, it doesn't carry on into the main roster because they're two this, separate this universes. This is what I was also going to say. This is what I was also going to say. This is this is it too. Okay, because then you've got to you got to realize the fact that okay, she was off her ankle for like two weeks after that first incident. Now she's on her ankle again a week after it was worse. It was injured even worse. And she's going to be wrestling on fucking the main roster with no injury. So this is actually not great. I really don't like this at all. I felt like they settled it. I felt like they settled it in a way that was good. It made both wrestlers look the way they were supposed to look. It it, it was a good send-off. I don't understand why they're doing this. Then they put up a card for a championship celebration next week with Zelina Vega and Andrade Cien Almas. And let me just say, they have new photos for both of them, and they're both fucking amazing. Yeah, no, they are really good. Zelina Vega no longer looks like a shitty asshole. She's really happy to be there. And they have a new photo of Andrade Cien Almas with the belt. And he's looking up into the sky, and they've lit him like he's looking up into the sun, and he's smiling his ass off, and he looks like... The fucking messiah. I think that they're going to try and sell them as faces the cheap. I just think that's probably the way it's going to go. It's amazing. They mentioned that he's on, quote, the cover of Mexico's biggest Lucha Libre magazine, which they don't name, but they say that he's on it, which is nice. Maybe because they don't know which one it is yet, because this has all happened before. It's before the fact. The only thing that pissed me off about this title card, and obviously it's a title card, so you think, how could anything piss you off about the title card? Well, let me tell you, Drew McIntyre's side plates are still on the belt. Oh, really? Yeah, they're two big M's. That kind of annoyed me. 
Do you think it's because they took the pictures right away, or do you think it's because they just can't wait to get that belt off of Andrade? I don't know. I, I hope that it's that they were so excited. They literally took that photo of him right after he won in his, you know, post-orgasmic cool-down period of winning the belt, where he's like, oh my god, everything's amazing now. Uh, hopefully that's the case, and they weren't just lazy and... Eh, let's just take the photos now. Yeah, we'll do it now. I mean, there's no use printing out new plates because uh, Johnny Gargano's gonna win this off of you in like two weeks. Another prolonged feud with him and Johnny Gargano would probably be pretty fun. I think that would be great. He could win every time. Gargano could get darker and darker. And then when Ciampa comes back, Gargano is the evil one. No, I, I say you go the opposite way. Yeah. Gargano keeps getting darker and darker, but then much like the um, Sami Zayn match with Neville, where you think he's about to cheat, at the last moment he goes, no, I'm still a good guy. He f- wins the belt being a good guy, and that's when Ciampa shows up. Oh, that might be Although too, that's yeah. exactly what happened with that Sami Zayn match, because that's when Kevin Owens showed up. So never mind. Yeah, but that was a while ago, so whatever. People will forget all about it. It's not reusing, it's recycling. Sure. Um, Let's see. So here comes Tyler Bate and Trent Seven. And they are twirling their mustaches, and they're doing big, goofy walks. And I just thought to myself, who the fuck do they think they are? The Street Profits? Oh, no, I don't know. I like how Tyler Bate waves like the queen. Tyler Bates queen wave is good, but what I mean is as he's doing the the regal queen wave, Trent Seven is in the background doing these big ministry of silly walk walks. Oh. I don't think I noticed. <laughs> They've got the fucking audience in the palm of their hands. Yeah. Then here comes Burger King Kids Club member Mark Andrews. The Burger King Kids Club. It's just for fun and just for you. What the fuck is with this guy? What the fuck, honestly? Oh my god, I hate that theme song. I hate this entrance. What the hell? How do you do, fellow kids? What? Jesus Acting Christ. like he's not, I mean, I'm gonna say 37, but he's probably 28, but still. He's probably like 20, though. Tyler Bate is 20. I know, but he's got a weird big beard, and he's trying to pretend like he's a cool 90s kid. It just is. Because he's built like a cool 90s kid. Sorry, that's another thing. Why does he look like he weighs 10 pounds? Who's your favorite punk band? Green Day or Blink-182? Oh my fucking God. You you know what? Yes. There's something about this guy. And the thing is, thank God he can wrestle like a fucking lucha monster. Because if he couldn't, I'd be like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And then finally, here comes Pete Dunne, who apparently has a fucking logo now. Did you see that? It's like a line with a third eye or something? It's either a bear or a badger. I think it's a bear with a third eye. And it is so fucking awesome. Yeah, but it definitely has a third eye. I mean, I'd like to see it more clear. I want to see it on like a Titan trunk, because then I'll know. Uh, I think I might have to get it tattooed on one of my shoulders. Oh, well, I don't know, man. Let's find out. Let's just make sure they don't turn Pete Dunn into like a weirdo first. Yeah, oh, yeah, Pete Dunn, not a weirdo. No, he's not a weirdo. He's great. He's a fucking champion forever. He's a heel you can get behind, and I get behind him. I am 100% 
I love Pete Dunne. How is Champion and Weirdo mutually exclusive? Because I would say he is definitely a weirdo. I don't need to explain myself to you. Notice the Bruiserweight chants were louder than Mustache Mountain chants. Oh, yeah. Yes. Everybody loves Pete Dunne. He is the truth about wrestling. So fucking good. So this is match number three. This is Tyler Bate and Trent Seven, Mustache Mountain, versus Pete Dunne and Mark Andrews. This is a super fun match. There's a lot of good character work and some really fun spots. I really like this tag team setup because it's a super flippy guy with a super tough guy versus two all-around guys. That works really well. Yeah, although Bate, Bate did a lot of flippy shit in this one. But, I mean, that's why I said that they're all-around guys, you know? Like, they... Yeah. Well, Seven then. Seven gave me what I wanted. It works really well as Pete Dunn and Mark Andrews hint first at their teamwork breaking down, and then they hint that they're actually working really well as a team, and then eventually their teamwork actually fully breaks down, and Trent Seven and Tyler Bate win. What did you think of this match? Uh, I really liked it. Of course, I love Pete Dunne. I think everything about what he's doing is is fantastic. But I really also liked some of the stuff that the character work from Mustache Mountain guys were really great. Early on, I was won over by Bate when he got a huge drop kick on Andrews, but took the time to stand up and point at Pete Dunne and be like, fuck you. Because I, I really liked that. I liked the idea of them just being like, yeah, okay, this guy's great and all, but he's not. He's not what I'm after. And it, it kind of made them way cooler in my mind. Um, I liked a ton of stuff. I liked the finger spot. They went back to done working on fingers, which I think is really cool. It, it distinguishes him a lot from a lot of these other guys that are in the company now. I completely agree. I just wish that they would stop. The commentary likes to call that as finger manipulation or digit manipulation. And I feel like Pete Dunn is clearly breaking this guy's fingers. You should be horrified. Marty Skrull does it so fucking good. Because he does the snaps. He he makes it sound like... Because he claps his fucking arms into his chest. And you, you just... You can't... You can't make it sound like you're trying to do that. You can't make it sound like... As a commentator, you cannot make it sound like... You know what I mean? Like, if you get you sick fuck chance from guys watching... Pete Dunn, then you've gone too far and it's bad. It's bad at that point because then you're ripping somebody off. The way he does it, it just, it reminds me of Minoru Suzuki. It's more like about twisting the fingers and and like, and like bending the fingers. They still call the it finger manipulation or digit manipulation. Yeah, I don't like that. No, I, I agree with you on that. They need to find something to do, but they can't, I don't think they could, they, they really should stay away from anything that makes it turn into that. I don't think that they should call it as he's broken that guy's fingers. But I think that they could call it as he's trying to break Tyler Bates' fingers. You know? They could yeah, they could. I mean it's a it's a it's a line that you could walk on, but I think they can walk that line. You're, I think you're right. They just they might be afraid to try. Pete Dunn comes out, there are these gigantic bruiser weight chants. And I wanted to ask you, do you think, considering Pete Dunn started wrestling at 14? that he weaponized his own acne scars to build his face for heel work. Oh, man. Because he has these deep, like, Edward James almost pockmarks, yeah. scars on his face, and it makes him look like a real fucking 
tough asshole. I think there's a possibility maybe when he was getting them that he was like, fuck it, I don't care, it's going to make me a better wrestler anyway. But I don't think he like went after that look. I think, I think though, because because you know why I think that it's because he he's obviously spent so much time looking in the mirror making faces that he just doesn't need it. Like his faces are perfect. He really he really has perfect wrestling faces. His sneer is just disgusting. I think he picked the mouthpiece out for that effect because he's like, this makes me look gross when I sneer. He has really great reactions that tell great stories because sometimes he can react like he's actually the toughest man in the world and a real shithead. But at one point, Trent Seven goes for an elbow strike and Pete Dunne (laughs) flinches and ducks. And Trent takes a second and realizes what just happened and just puts him in the duck position into a DDT and goes into a roll up. I really like that they telegraph that Pete Dunne is probably only half as tough as he acts like he is. Yeah, he's just got one of those faces. He's just got that demeanor, but it's like, at the end of the day, you can take him down. You just won't. I mean, we we called him this last week. He is a secret weenie. He's he's an out weenie. I believe he's an out, out and In out In his weenie. heart of hearts, he's Millhouse. But he acts like Nelson so that nobody fucks with him. Uh, yeah, there's a good chance that that's what it is. But he is definitely, he's the cream of the crop. He's really up there. Another thing, I just want to give Trent Seven a lot of credit. Towards the end of the match, when when Dunn is beating up on him uh, and he's on the ground, he sells by screaming, Ah, oh my God. And I loved that. Oh my God. Oh, oh. Oh. Trent Seven just getting stomped out. He sells that from getting stomped in the back, which is a really brutal attack. Like, it isn't like an elbow drop or something. It looks like it would hurt, and instead of just writhing, he yells, Ah, my God, and it sounds like somebody actually got stomped into the back. It's really, really great. Tyler Bates' exploder suplex. After he caught Dunn out of the air and held him in place. That was actually really impressive. I'm not a very big spot guy, but I fucking loved that. That was just Tyler Bate showing off. Because not only does he catch Pete Dunn out of a corner splash attempt and then do an exploder suplex, he then kips up and then after kipping up, does a standing shooting star press back onto Pete Dunn. Like, oh, oh, Bate catches the WWE UK champion. The power here, Bate. Bate executes Ooh. an exploder suplex. And the kipper! Oh! Standing shooting star press! Hooks both legs and bait almost best done! So, yeah, the whole fucking combination is just like, hey, I don't know if you saw this, my dick's huge. Well, also, I think that it's like, it's one of those perfect moments because obviously for the entirety of the UK belt... It's been getting passed back and forth between Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne. Luckily, not very fast. Pete Dunne is the guy that deserves the belt, but also Tyler Bate deserves the belt, and they're perfect as the heel and the face that are the perfect distillation of what this belt means. And I like that whenever they get put in the ring together, really, it's less about the guy who owns the belt and more about the other guy showing off all of the crazy shit that he does to be like, 
I could take this off of him at any moment and it would be completely believable. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that this match kind of outclassed uh, Andrews a little bit, though, because like he he came out so good and he's like he made me go like, man, guys like that on a 205 live or actually just fucking put him in Lucha Underground or something like he's so talented. His moves look so clean. His like flipping around is so like hyperactive and high energy. He showed off really amazingly with that standing corkscrew moonsault, which was like that looked amazing. And like his off the rope shit, the Frankensteiner into Pete Dunn catching uh I think this was seven and and fucking uh what do you call it, pile driving him? That was a, insane. I mean the the thing about that, the the thing about that is just like he's great. He had good selling too, like when he got tagged and did the Frankenstein and he shrugs a little bit before because he's like, This doesn't make sense, but I'll go along with it. He's really cool. But it's very difficult in this match, especially with Trent Seven and Pete Dunn in it. It's very difficult to get over the fact that this guy looks like he weighs 30 pounds. Yeah. I mean, like, all three of the other guys are pretty Yeah, Tyler built. Bate is small, but he's cut and he's bulkier. And, like, it's just it's The reason so that he was able to last believably so long in the UK Championship is because they had a number of early matches in the knockout rounds to be like look at him do some flippy stuff on a big bruiser to put him over as somebody who could easily win sure. so that when he lost you didn't go well of course he lost he's 100 pounds lighter like sure there's no there's no it's harder to do it especially considering he isn't even one of the ones that they feature a lot when the uk uh wwe people come to nxt it's rarely yeah. Mark Andrews, so you go like, hopefully they start using him more. But yeah, because he's really good, and they could put him up against some NXT mainstays that are closer to his size. That's gonna look fantastic. Fuck Pete Dunn, because at one point Trent Seven comes in to save Tyler Bate from Pete Dunn, and throws a knife edge chop at him. Pete Dunn catches the knife edge chop, and then throws his arm into Tyler Bate and Tyler Bate sells it like he got hit with a sledgehammer. It is I love it. so fucking stupid. I loved that. And that is, again, you know I'm not the big spot guy. That was great. I underline that in my notes. But I these are that. like character moment spots more than they're like just a flip or something. And that's why they sure, work yeah. so well. Cause he's just like, Oh, you guys are good friends. I'm going to make you hit your buddy. <laughs> oh, Jesus. The main body of this is all Pete Dunn and Mark Andrews having a very weird tag team relationship. It starts early on when there is maybe the biggest heel spot that you can do besides grabbing somebody's arm and throwing it into their friend, which is he goes to tag in Mark Andrews and Tyler Bate gives him a second because Tyler Bate is a face. He's like, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll just let you tag in your, your partner. And right as he's about to tag him in, he turns around and blindsides him with an elbow and then tags his partner in. That was fucking fantastic. From there, we have him weaponizing the ref's own stupidity. 
Oh. He waits until the ref's back is turned. He tags in Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews starts getting in. Then Pete Dunne points out to the ref that Mark Andrews is entering. He's calling out his own teammate. This is like an opera. And Andrews is pissed. Andrews is like, no, he just tagged me in. What? He's yelling at the ref. He's yelling at Pete Dunne. While everybody's focused on Andrews, again, Pete Dunne just blindsides Trent Seven in the side of the head with an elbow. And this is what I'm talking about, man. You don't have to get up on a thing and pile drive a guy off a building. You can fucking do this. This is great. Mark Andrews is pissed off at him. Mark Andrews, he's feeling used by Pete Dunne. Yeah, he, he thought that this was his opportunity to get his number one contendership. But this is really just Pete Dunne wanting to beat the shit out of people and being like, you're that hammer I use to beat people with. He gets even more pissed off because at one point he tags himself in way too hard on Mark Andrews' back. Mark Andrews starts yelling at him from the apron, like, fuck you, what the fuck are you doing? Dunn doesn't focus on Trent Seven. He puts Trent Seven in an arm hold and starts kicking him in the side of the head. But while kicking him, he's just yelling at Mark Andrews for being a little punk. I love it. Trent Seven uses him not paying attention to get the Seven Stars Lariat. There's a big sign saying you've got to fucking work together. If you don't work together, the other team is going to take advantage. Yeah. But then they start working together. Trent Seven catches Mark Andrews from a codebreaker attempt. As he walks Mark Andrews back to the center of the ring to powerbomb him, Pete Dunne secretly tags himself in and then gets the backstabber. That was awesome. Oh, maybe they're going to start working together. Mark Andrews goes to the top rope, right? He's going to do something, and Pete Dunne tags himself in. And Mark Andrews looks like he's about to start fighting with his teammate because he's like, what the fuck are you doing? And Pete Dunne is like, no, 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 do what you were about to do. Do what you're about to do. And this is where you have that moment that you talked about before. Mark Andrews shrugs. Okay, fine. That was awesome. Does an amazing fucking Frankensteiner. Pete Dunne catches Tyler Bate out of the Frankensteiner into a sit-out powerbomb. Holy shit. Yeah, that was a really good. But then Tyler Bate kicks out. And so you're like, well, now they're fucking working together. The one thing that I would say about this match is that everybody kicked out of everything. That was a little too much. Tyler Bate gets Andrews into an airplane spin, which is really fucking stupid, and I love it. This is where you can insert Moro calling it the human fidget spinner. The human fidget spinner, Tyler Bate! Good going, Moro. What the fuck, dude? Really? Dunn leans in and tags himself in, but that actually leads to them losing in a really weird way. Who knew Tyler Bate just doesn't get dizzy? Both things that I didn't like in this match were in the loss. Dunn throws Tyler Bate into the ropes and he does that really cool bounce off the ropes using his shoulders. I really like that, but then he spins around and reverses it into an uppercut and he clearly misses Pete Dunn by like two feet. And it was a little disappointing, but I don't mind that much. What I mind more is he does the Tyler driver and Pete Dunn takes the pin. I'm very much of the... The champion shouldn't take the pin. I agree with you, especially when there's a guy that weighs like 200 pounds less. Yeah, I didn't like that. But those were the only two things I didn't like about this match. Everything else was amazing. There's one other thing that kind of bothered me a little bit, and that was the obvious turn on your partner spot at the end where Pete Dunne is like, oh, well, we lost and and I'm going to beat you up now. So he beats up Andrews. The problem with this was that it was being teased that it was going to happen during the fight just by 
Andrews being like, I'm going to be number one contender now. I'm going to be number one contender now when we win. So I'm like, okay, so he's going to turn on him during the fight. For it to happen after the fight, there's no reason. It showed that Pete Dunne wanted to win, which is weird because I understand Pete Dunne wanting to win because who doesn't want to win? But at the same time, it's like, I wanted you to be the one that I fought. It's like, hmm. I don't mind that ending as much because I kind of like Pete Dunne as the petulant toddler, especially because Mark Andrews attempts to shake his hand and kind of says, oh, well, we'll get him next time. And it's like, no, fuck you. I got you on here to win. And then I was going to beat you up so that you would be injured for our match. But now we don't even have that. Fuck you. I did also think that probably he just needed to beat the shit out of someone and do the bitter end so that he could have an excuse to put the belt in his mouth and like talk himself up and do like the fucking double fist thing. There are what? six people in the UK division and one heel. And obviously any division that has Pete Dunne in it probably only needs one heel. It's really too bad that this didn't become a show. Although then it probably would have just floundered like 205 Live, which I think is why they didn't do it. I just wish that even once a month I could see all these guys and like maybe six others having matches. I liked the matches of this episode. They were three really good matches, but for some reason the episode felt a little uneven. I think that it's probably because they were recording all out of order and, you know, they might have had subpar equipment setups. But I think that I like the idea of them doing more shows from the road and house shows. Just the commentary and the interstitials and the promos all felt a little out of place. Yeah, I agree with you. I think we felt Nigel's absence a lot more than you might think just from the way that it went off. It sounded like it went off fine without him, but I just I think that we missed him a little bit, you know? Now that we've talked about the episode, do you want to talk about Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, Mandy Rose, Sarah Logan, and Sonya Deville on the main roster? Yeah, I, I think it's a good idea to talk about them. So they all got brought up to the main roster. Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose are teamed with Paige on Raw, in a faction called Absolution, which, fucking great name there. Maybe they'll feud with the Awoken Hardys so they could scream Absolute. And Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, and Sarah Logan are in the Riot Squad on SmackDown Live. So far, they've also been doing the exact same thing every single episode. That's very weird. I guess maybe, you know, do you think that there's some hidden data that we're not able to see about the viewership of Raw and SmackDown that suggests that different people watch Raw than SmackDown, that they're not just watching, it's not the same people? They're like, well, we could just do one story twice. So in a couple of months, it's just going to be like (laughs) every title change that happens on one will also happen on the other. Sure. What's the raw version of Ginger Mahal? Is Kurt Hawkins on that one? Kurt Hawkins is on that one. Are you saying that Kurt Hawkins is? There you go. Sure, he beats Brock and then there you go. Give him two tiny other Kurt Hawkinses to beat up. I don't see a problem with that. They keep doing the same things. What's going on? Maybe they only have one writing team. It would also be different if instead of being called the Riot Squad, Ruby Riot had been like, we're also part of Absolution. And then you would go, oh, they have a oh, a game plan, you know? That would have been cool. They have a strategy, and so they're both doing the same thing. Instead, 
They're just two completely oh. separate groups that are like. Or she could have come out and she could have been like, we're Escalation. And then like, they would have done whatever. And then later, they're, they, they, they fucking invade each other's shows and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? Or she comes out and goes, we're the Riot Squad. And last night on Raw, we saw <laughs> Absolution yeah. do this thing. So we're going to do the same thing. What the fuck is going yeah. on? But yeah, no. So I think bringing the 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 NXT ladies up, it was it's cool. It's a little weird to see them doing the exact same thing. Um, it's also a little weird to see Sonya Deville on the team with Paige because I felt like Sonya Deville's character work was actually going a lot further, uh, especially towards the end. And I think Paige is just, she's so charismatic, she's just going to suck all that, you know, in. Let me just ask you, do you think that they're all ready? Honestly, I haven't seen enough of Mandy Rose to tell you, but she's been doing it a long time, so I would think... Yeah, she probably is. Liv Morgan, I don't know really if she is because honestly, she's in and now she's in a heel stable, so like she's going to be weird cuz she was always a baby face. Also, she's on SmackDown with Carmella who people were already making fun of her as being face Carmella and now she's heel Carmella, which is Carmella, she's just from New Jersey instead of Staten Island. See, I don't know, because I didn't really think that. I I could tell why people would say that, because she looks similar. But I I get I get a different vibe from her. But I I kind of I kind of get. What that. is the different vibe you get from her? I feel like she's more like like high energy. With Carmella, I feel like Carmella is just like really smarmy and obnoxious, but not like just because she's like a heel or whatever, but also because she's just like. I guess so, but she comes out and moonwalks. Like, she's high energy, too, and she, like... Yeah, but she's so much smoother. I don't know. I, I guess I just feel like Liv Morgan is they more They both have the, like, messy. Staten Island, New Jersey, hip-hop Guido lady thing going. Uh, you know what? I don't know. Why don't they just put them in a feud with each other, and then we'll see what happens. There can be only one. <laughs> yeah, there can be only one. There can be only one. F-A-B-U-L-O-U-S, yes. Uh, Ruby Riot. She's probably ready. I think that Ruby Riot is probably the most ready of anybody. I think Sonya Deville's a close second, though. Like, really close. Sonya Deville, Sarah Logan, Mandy Rose, and Liv Morgan. I think that they are varying levels of not ready to be on the main roster. Liv Morgan, I think she always felt like she needed just a little bit more time in ring. She had just started to show that she could really do some crisp, clean in-ring work. But like just starting to show that doesn't mean guaranteed to continue. And the whole point of NXT is that it's supposed to be developmental. They're supposed to get you completely ready. Speaking of which, Sonya Deville has put on a ton of good matches, but had just started to prove that she could be good on the mic. And guess what? She shows up on Raw. Have they put her on the mic yet? Oh, no. Oh, see, so I... Okay, I missed that. I was thinking that she was going to be good because they were just going to have her the silent enforcer or whatever. And that I liked that every time something happened during their, like, 
debut, she would just say, yeah, baby. And I liked that because it was just like hilarious. She's just saying the same thing over and over again. But I didn't realize that they actually put the mic in her hands. There have been a lot of people that have, I felt like, unfairly maligned Sonya Deville for her promo work this week. It was a little clunky, but the bigger problem is creative didn't give her anything to work with like they always do. They had Mm. her get on the mic after Paige had already been talking for almost a minute on the mic. And then they were in a shitty city that had been shitty all night to the performers and they instantly started yelling what at her. And I hate that fucking what chant. The whole point of NXT, it's supposed to be that it gets you ready for being on TV once a week. The sad fact of it is that NXT, their writers give you good promos to cut and they work with your character and the audience works with you. Everybody's working with you to build a good TV show. Raw is not going to be like that. And as much as I think Sonya Deville has it in her to do that shit... She wasn't there yet. Oh, I see. I didn't. I missed the whole mic stuff. Sarah Logan also got on the mic this week. I liked it a little bit more because at least it wasn't out in the ring. It was in a backstage segment. But she's like, oh, I'm a mountain lady. And we set a trap last week and it's going to spring tonight and we're going to kick everybody's ass. They're having to introduce people to the main roster when they finally realized that like, Sometimes if you actually let somebody get fully over on NXT, you don't have to have an episode where you go, I'm Ruby Riot and I'm a punk rock lady and I'm going to kick ass, you know, like you can introduce them in the ring. Instead, they're having to explain all this shit. I don't know. I didn't think that they were ready. I think it would have been fine to show, not tell, because the people who were interested enough would have looked them up, and the people who weren't interested enough would have seen some fucking wrestling, and then they would have been fine with them, and if they weren't fine with them, they'd just ignore them. I have a lot of opinions about storytelling in general. Comic books, movies, TV shows, wrestling, right? And it always comes down to show, don't tell. And the main roster is horrible at show, don't tell. Um, Because I agree with you completely. If they had just kicked everybody's ass three weeks in a row, then you wouldn't have to explain who you were. People would just go, oh, I think that Sarah Logan is a weird mountain lady. Yeah, well, she's wearing fucking rabbit furs and beating the crap out of people. And to top it off, like for that team particularly, for the Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose team particularly, they already have Paige who she's really good on the mic. She was really good. There's no reason. Just have them be quiet and like kick everyone's ass. That gets back to the horrible creative choices so far. Um, Why would you have Paige explain why they were there for a minute and people start getting bored and they want to watch some wrestling and then instead of them beating up people creative's bright idea is and then you pass the microphone to sonia deville who's like says the same thing you just said a little less confidently as people yell at her do you think they were supposed to wrap the promo do you think they were supposed to be like my name is Paige, and i'm here to say right i mean like maybe i like wrestling in a gothy way <laughs> yeah and then she passes it off i'm sonia deville i'm mean and tough You can tell that I'm really rough, right? 
Like something stupid like that. That would have been good. No, it wouldn't have, but it would have been better than what you're talking about, which I didn't see, so I can't It would have at least been entertaining. Paige continues to call it the women's evolution, not revolution. This is something that they kept trying to do while Emma was still on WWE. And it makes me think, is this secretly part of the reason that they got rid of Emma? They brought back the woman that Emma competed against in the match that started the quote-unquote women's revolution and got her to call it the evolution. Meanwhile, they got rid of Emma, and every single time they called it the women's evolution in front of Emma, she corrected them and was like, you mean the revolution. Yeah, that is weird. Sure, we have like a Twilight Zone drop we could put in here. No, an X-Files drop we could put in here. What X-Files drop? I don't know, like, I want to believe, I oh, don't know, whatever. Oh, just that I'm Could've a crazy conspiracy theorist? I was drugged. <sighs> yeah, well, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I am not a conspiracy theorist. God damn it. So then why did they call it absolution instead of evolution? Because there was already a faction called evolution from 10 years ago. Yeah, but they could just do it. I mean, it's a women's faction now. They could just be like, we're women's evolution. They could just call themselves a women's evolution. Just beat it, beat you over the head. We're now on Stitcher, so you can find us on Stitcher. We're hoping nice. to get on... Apple Podcasts. Remember, it's called Apple Podcasts. Do they come down really hard on you? It's actually in the uh, license thing that you're not allowed to say... Yeah, but I think that that's because they don't want to be held liable for any of your opinions. Or anything <laughs> like that. We also have an email address that you can contact us at. Oh. We are at whatsnxtpod at gmail.com. Tune in next week when Alec versus Tristan happens in the Megadome. Yeah, tune in next week. We'll find out what's next. What's NXT? <laughs>